Boy, what a great morning we've already shared together. Hasn't it been good? It's very exciting to see what God is doing in our midst, and it's really exciting for me to see all of you here choosing to be worshiping God today and joining together with your church family. We welcome you all, guests and seekers and uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, followers of Jesus. Today, uh, we are in part five of this Fan Into Flame series that is a series that's designed to fan our faith into flame, our strength, our courage, our grip, remember this, on the gospel baton to be able to pass this along to the next generation, and the next generation isn't just younger people, it's the very next person that we can influence to become a child of God and uh, to make a difference in that way. Um, I'm going to begin today's thought message with a story. At age 26, Ken Elzinga joined the family sorry, joined the faculty, of the University of Virginia. Just after a tenured colleague warned him that being explicit about his faith would hinder his tenure and hinder his career. Elzinga was stunned to see a poster with his face on it placed at a prominent campus location. A campus ministry had posted it to advertise a talk that he had agreed to Give, he had no idea it would be so public. A relatively new believer, Elzinga worried. Would fellow professors think less of him? Would this harm his career? He experienced a long and troubling night. He returned to the campus and secretly took the poster down. But the next morning, Elzinga decided to put the poster back up, and he did. After hours of soul-searching, he concluded that his life was not about career ambition, but about pleasing God, and that being private about his faith was not an option for a faithful follower of Jesus. That was a turning point in his life, and that took place 55 years ago now, and he is still professor of the University of Virginia, having taught more students than any other professor in the history of the university. When our aim is pleasing God, we no longer need to compete for our own honor. And this loyalty above all else makes us less anxious, less sensitive to criticism, and more courageous. That's today's title, Be Courageous. Be Courageous. So we're hoping to fan into flame more courage. Now, not all stories end so well, even among the courageous. We know this because we've been studying this letter that's written by Paul to Timothy. Second Timothy is what we call it because it's the second letter he wrote to him. And Paul is writing from imprisonment in Rome, and it's the one he expected would result in his execution, and it did result in his execution. So from an earthly standpoint, his story didn't end so well on earth, but it ended fabulously according to God's plan. Now, if you're like me, 
Sometimes you have these thoughts and you think of them as possible promptings from God. And sometimes you're not sure whether they're just your own thoughts or literally it's God prompting you to do something. Can I make a recommendation? You might weight it more heavily on the side of God may be prompting you to do something than on the side that I'm going to look foolish. This is not the way I roll. Uh, I think maybe that's just me. Well, if that's the case, why did you have that thought? This morning I had such a thought. Normally I stand up here and preach from my heart. I prepare so that I can preach from my heart, not from my notepad to yours, from my heart to yours. But today I had this prompting, and I believe it's from God because it's not where I come from, that I'm supposed to sit and I'm supposed to read most of my message today, which is unlike me. From a human standpoint, reading such a message will cause some to disengage and not listen. But from God's standpoint, I think he has something for us today that I cannot deliver the way I normally deliver. And I happen to believe today's message may be one of the most important messages I have ever preached to the American church. And I don't expect that the whole American church will hear this message, but we are an American church. And we need to hear this message. And I have been prompted to sit because I am not in a position to stand and preach passionately from my heart as if I got this. I do not. I need to hear this message because I am an American pastor. And I hope to move from where I am to where God wants me to be. There's a quote on the screen. Moral courage is the ability to act rightly in the face of popular opposition, shame, scandal, discouragement, or personal loss. In AD 64, Paul and the church found moral courage. In 1967, Ken Elzinga found moral courage. In 2022, as followers of Jesus, we must also find our moral courage to act rightly in the face of opposition, shame, discouragement, or personal loss. This message is designed to be an encouragement. However, it is also clearly a wake-up call to the church in America. Be courageous. Point number one. There will be terrible times ahead. There will be terrible times ahead. Second Timothy 3.1 reads, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. What does that look like? Well, Paul tells us. 2 Timothy 3, 2 through 5 reads, People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, 
slanderous, without self-control, brutal. Not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Lovers of themselves begins the list. And the list ends with rather than lovers of God. Everything in between those bookends is the terrible result of such a horrible trajectory of life. It's always best to function, this is on the screen, it's always best to function according to design. And we have been designed to function as God-centered beings. We unravel to the point of self-destruction when we live like self-centered beings. Paul did not give us this list to describe atheists. He was describing false followers in the church. Let's read verse 5 again with the line that I hadn't read yet. Having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with such people. Please note that when he said have nothing to do with such people, he was not meaning people of the world. We know this from other passages, that he doesn't have us pull out of our relationship with the, those who are unsaved, but to pull out of relationships with those who claim salvation, but live a contradiction to the gospel. Later, he uses the word imposters to describe this group. Imposters in the church who claim to be followers of Jesus. Verse 13, we'll skip there for now. It reads, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now back to verse 5, here's a quote. In contrast to those holding to a form of godliness but denying its power, verse 5, true godliness is empowered by God's spirit because of our relationship with Jesus. So there's a whole group of people within the church that are, they think they're godly. They think they're ranked among those who are believers in God, believers in Christ, who are imposters because they don't know how to live according to the power of the Spirit. They're busy in a religiosity of trying harder to live according to what it says, but it's not an empowered relationship with Jesus Christ where their lives are transformed and live in conformity with what Christ has taught. 2 Timothy 3, 6 and 7. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. Verse 7, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Warning. Imposters in the church are a great danger to those in the church who are constantly doing Bible studies, always learning, but never really getting it. 
because they measure spiritual maturity by learning more information instead of by their transformation. Are you merely learning information and denying its power? Or are you living out your relationship with Jesus through obedience empowered by the Holy Spirit whom Jesus supplied? 2 Timothy 3, 8 through 9. We're going to skip to the sentence that starts. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. These are teachers in the church he's speaking of. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. On the screen is another quote. We must not hang out with evildoers and imposters, that's verse 13, who claim to be Christian but whose lives contradict the gospel. And we are told, have nothing to do with them. Verse 5. Let me pause and just make a quick note that there will be terrible times ahead. That's true. But by the list, wouldn't you agree we are already in terrible times now? Paul did also. Even in 64, he listed the terrible times coming, but he was describing the terrible times right then and there that they needed to have nothing to do with those false imposters in the church right then and there. The last days began, the moment Jesus completed his work. We're in the last days and it's getting worse. Aren't you glad you came? (laughs) You'll be even more glad as we go. Yes, this is meant to be encouraging, but it is solemn. It's very pointed. Point number two is faithful followers will be persecuted. Faithful followers will be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 13 reads, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, Patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Again, if you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. Verse 12. Now Paul gets this from Jesus himself and from sound reasoning. Jesus. Matthew 10, 22. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Sound reasoning. Anyone who accepts a set of moral standards quite different from the world's is bound to encounter trouble. Let me say that again. Anyone who accepts a set of moral standards quite different from the world's is bound to encounter trouble. 
Anyone who has a loyalty that surpasses all other earthly loyalties will clash with those who do not like our refusal to compromise that loyalty. Anyone compelled by love to speak about Jesus, who is the only rescue from the judgment to come, will encounter those who will hate them for it instead of love them for it. This is sound reasoning. So if you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. Which leaves us with a massive question. On the screen, if we have not experienced persecution, could it be that we have been neglecting our duty as disciples of Jesus by being too cautiously private about our faith? If you don't have courage to be more open about your faith than you are right now, what can you do? Point number three. Become thoroughly equipped. Become thoroughly equipped. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17 reads, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through, Christ, through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Here's a quote from Billy Graham. It comes from... 1964, courage is contagious. When one brave person takes a stand, the spines of others are often stiffened. I finished today early. I want that in the bank for later. <laughs> Be the one brave person. Let's take the gospel and pass it on. We've been talking about having a firm grip on the gospel. That's what it's going to take for us to have courage because it's more than information. It's our heart completely wrapped around the good news and the good news has a hold of us, and we're inseparable. Why? Because we get a firm grip. We love God wholeheartedly. We can't help but want to do first things first. We don't want to do life alone. 
Save people, serve people. And followers, we're not ashamed. We're not afraid to say, follow me. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this clear message that confronts a cheap version of discipleship that only wants the forgiveness, only wants your blessing. You are willing to die for us and we're not willing to speak up for you and your purpose and the only saving cause to literally free people from hell and to introduce them to eternal life, which begins the day they love you and accept you and submit to you. And instead of doing their self-centered life, make you their one loyalty above all other loyalties, their one love above all other loves, to serve you, love you, to be gripped by you, and to help others get a grip on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Hope to see you for the great conclusion of this series coming next week. And uh, prayer team is right in the alcove there to the left of the stage to be praying about anything. God bless. <laughs>